This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. I wanted to be independent, for one thing, <laughs> independent of my children, and, and have a choice. And so um, I think that's what seniors want as well. That is the indomitable Hazel McCallion on a new report on ageism and how it robs Zoomers of choice and independence. She has much more to say about that coming up. And... Idea City is just around the corner. For 17 years now, Moses Neimer presents some of the most brilliant minds in the world to speak, collaborate, and shake things up over the three-day conference. One of the presenters is Dr. John Reeves. He's going to talk about disrupting healthcare and what it means for all of us. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A unique find on eBay this week. When British historians bought what they believe is a rare machine used by Adolf Hitler to send top-secret messages to his high command. While the Nazis used the Enigma system to exchange messages with the front-line units, this machine, called the Lorenz Teleprinter, was used exclusively by the German high command during World War II. Volunteers at Bletchley Park in the UK found the machine online from a cellar in Essex, where it had been lying on the floor of a shed. What did the seller want for the one-in-a-million World War II artifact? Nine pounds, or about 18 bucks Canadian. A spokesman for Bletchley Park gave the seller a 10-pound note and told her to keep the change. A new study out of Rutgers University in New Jersey suggests that the ability to drive has a significant social effect on Zoomers. The study, looking at 4,300 people over the age of 65, found that many of those who had the ability to drive but then lost their license visited friends and got out less than those who never drove in the first place. Meanwhile, those who continued to drive went out three times as often as those who didn't. Researchers say we know how important socializing is to Zoomers' well-being, so we shouldn't be rushing to take the car keys out of their hands. This week, Americans commemorated Memorial Day, and as is the custom in the U.S., baseball teams across the country played in day games and wore uniforms with camouflage markings as a sign of respect for the military. In Seattle, the Mariners went a step further, asking 92-year-old Burke Waldron, a naval veteran from World War II, to throw out the ceremonial first pitch. He did so by running out onto the field in his dress whites and throwing a fastball off the mound. And the co-founder of the Germany-based humanitarian aid group, Cap Anamur, 
which helped to rescue more than 10,000 Vietnamese boat people, has died. 77-year-old Rupert Noydeck was a former journalist who founded the Cologne-based organization with his wife in 1979 in response to the Vietnamese refugee crisis. Cap Anamore expanded to provide humanitarian aid globally, focusing on medical care and education. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's the most tolerated form of social prejudice in Canada. Not racism, not sexism, but ageism. This according to a report prepared by the Sheridan Centre for Elder Research for the retirement residence operator Rivera Living. The report is part of Rivera's $20 million initiative to fund entrepreneurs who develop products and services to enhance the aging experience. It finds that a quarter of younger Canadians admit they have treated someone differently because of their age. And more than half of Zoomers over 77 say people assume they can't do things for themselves. Here is 86-year-old Mary Shaw. It's very subtle sometimes, and I think that you have to realize that they feel uh, they are helping you. I think people feel that, um, oh, you know, we're not aware of what's going on, and, uh, you know, we're just too old to, to give suggestions. Our suggestions are maybe too outdated. The younger people and need to realize that we need to be more independent and that we are capable of making choices. In her capacity as Rivera's chief elder officer, the inspiring Hazel McCallion, former Mississauga mayor, has talked to hundreds of Zoomers like Mary Shaw about how to make their lives better. At 95, McCallion is what we would call an uber-zoomer. She keeps a hectic schedule with a portfolio of part-time jobs, including this one. She stays engaged with her community and still drives, gardens, and keeps house on her own. Hazel visited our studio to talk about the report and share some advice. People that are aging want to keep their independence. Uh, they, they want to feel that they're wanted, that they have a contribution to make, etc. And not because they're aging or they've reached a certain age, they should stop. Sheridan College did, uh, did a major survey, and they found that uh, seniors are being discriminated against, sometimes by their family, uh, but mainly by the public, that, oh, they're too old, and we got to do this for them, instead of asking them whether they want that to be done for them. In your discussions with, with people, what did you find the biggest issue was? There seemed to be a lot of emphasis here on people making decisions for older people without even consulting them. That's right. You know, it, it, it's unfortunate. And I think people do it out of kindness, maybe. But quite honestly, as I look back over my life, I wanted to be independent, for one thing, <laughs> independent of my children, and, and have a choice. And so um, I think that's what seniors want as well. They don't want everything done for them. They want to be able to contribute. You're talking about people who suffer from ageism here, but I'm assuming that you are the exception that proves the rule. I'm sure that nobody ever tried to make decisions for you or treat you differently because of your age. No, not, not my friends don't and my family doesn't. 
wouldn't uh, dare. Except that I have, uh, I'm independent. I have a house, and I do all the housework. I do gardening, and I'm out in the community as much as possible. Even though I'm no longer mayor, I'm invited to so many events, and I try to work them all in. What would you say uh, your secret is? Are you lucky with genes, a good lifestyle, good attitude? Well, I, you know, people ask me that many times. I think one of the things is uh, uh, being a depression kid, I had to become independent uh, because I had to leave home at an early age to go to school, to high school. And uh, then I had to go to work. And being away from home, uh, my home is on the Gaspe Coast, and I took my education in Quebec City and Montreal. So there I was on my own. So I became very uh, independent <laughs> of uh, assistance. And I think organic food. I grew up on a farm where we had all the best things to eat, uh, drank on pasteurized milk, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, ate a lot of fish. And we had our own chickens. We had our own cows. We had, uh, you know... I didn't know what a hamburger looked like till I hit Montreal. <laughs> uh, there have been studies on uh, people that are called the welderly, super seniors, whatever you want to call them, and they're people like yourself who reach a, a pretty good age <laughs> without any kind of major problems, cancer, heart disease, all of that. And I know that uh, scientists want to study those people, but again, to what do you attribute that in addition to, you know, having a good start? I don't know. I think attitude has a lot to do with it, you know, and, and working hard, uh, being uh, anxious to help others and to build uh, build things, you know what I mean, build a community and making sure organizations exist and so forth. But I've been fortunate in, uh, in uh, I've had good health all my life. I'm on no medication or anything at this age, so I Thank God for that. And very active. I'm not limited physically uh, in any way, so I still drive my car. I don't know if it's genes. My mother lived to 79, but my dad died at 55. Wow. So, you know, I don't know if it has anything to do with genes. But anyway, I do know that I enjoyed good health all my life. What about exercise? I do exercise a bit when I get out of bed in the morning. I do my own gardening. That's pretty good. I do my own housekeeping. Wow. That's good exercise. And I exercise my German shepherd, Missy, in the backyard. I take her for runs around the yard, etc. And staying active. You know, I don't sit down and watch TV. More of us are living longer. Uh, we here are trying to promote a new vision of aging. So what do you think the key is to changing ageist attitudes in society? Well, I think it's very important because people are living longer. And so it's absolutely essential that we allow them to remain and to continue their independence and their choice of what they want to do. And if they retire from a job, there's so many opportunities in the community for them to continue to contribute and to be active. Again, it's attitude. If you want to remain young in spirit and young uh, and active physically, there's all kinds of opportunities for people to continue to be involved. And you should never think of sitting back and saying, oh, I'm too old. That should never enter your mind. You should say, you're 
as young as you feel you are. Hazel McCallion, thank you so much. Thank you. There is one way in which Hazel McCallion has suffered because of ageism. She became mayor of Mississauga in 1978 at the age of 57. But the city stopped paying into her pension when she hit 65 eight years later, just because of her age. That means McCallion has no pension to show for the last 28 years of her tenure as mayor. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. This month, we will stage the 17th annual Idea City here in Toronto. One of the presenters, Dr. John Reeves, will join me with his ideas on disrupting health care. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. We're all worried about the future of our health care system as we age, and many people argue that it needs more money. Cassette Health's Dr. John Reeves says the solution is disrupting the industry by harnessing new technology and innovation. He came by ahead of his talk at Idea City. Disrupting healthcare is really about looking at the healthcare system that we have now, which we all engage with in some way, shape, or form. And I think that when we look at the rest of our lives and we see how technology has changed each and every one of those verticals, I think most of us look at healthcare and say, wow, something needs to be changed, something needs to be modernized, something needs to be improved. I know they're trying. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been a couple of really bad starts like eHealth that wasted vast amounts of money. And over at one side, I don't know, have you ever been to the new Humber River Hospital that's North America's first completely digital hospital? Would you see that as the kind of model? Well, certainly, you know, uh, healthcare, one of the things we know about healthcare is it goes everything from uh, being a a small, uh, you know, package of pills in front of you to a large-scale hospital to an entire government uh, by province system. So the scale difference in healthcare is massive, and each one of them has different risks. So, for example, if you are trying to uh, change the entire healthcare system and you look at the e-health issues we've had, that's because we have to make large bets on a very large project. And those are very risky, and uh, so oftentimes we can miscalculate versus the startup world where you can actually pivot very quickly. As you're building, you see an error or a mistake or a changing market, and you can very quickly change your product to keep up with the modern need. So it's, uh, healthcare is not a homogeneous uh, set of uh, uh, problems that have to be disrupted. They're all over the place. If you go to Humber River mm-hmm. Regional Hospital, uh, you know, you will have a screen with all your records there. But if you go dealing with doctors' offices, they're still faxing things. Mm-hmm. And that's because the industry is highly siloed, right? Your physician is not in communication with the hospital, is not in communication with the pharmacy, is not in communication with your physiotherapist or any of your healthcare professionals. So that siloing of the people you touch uh, base with, they're not connected. And so really the short-term future for healthcare is making sure that the patient is that one connection point. They own the data and they can bring that data to any location they want to go and share it with whomever they want to share it with. So how do we as patients mm-hmm. do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, obviously technology and disruption will create those tools, but at its most basic level, you know, do patients have a history, whether it be physical or digital, that they're creating on their own of their past healthcare encounters and their experiences, right? So what we'll see over time is patients will own the content, patients will own their data from a variety of connected devices, uh, and by bringing that in, that encounter with their healthcare professional can be very powerful because the physician can then work with really good information when he tries to make the diagnosis and put together that treatment plan. 
so mm. basically you're saying that the future of disrupting the healthcare system is more responsibility on on the patient. Well, yes. Unfortunately, I don't think we can expect patients to build those solutions, right? Uh, the patient has the need, uh, the system, uh, the startup companies, uh, the healthcare system itself need to build those solutions. Um, technology will allow us to take healthcare from being episodic to being continuous. Most people know yes. that like the best things to do for yeah. your health are, first of all, don't smoke. Yes. Eat healthy mm-hmm. and exercise. Mm-hmm. I think people know that, mm-hmm. but a lot of people find it very, very hard to do that or don't even try. And that's, but that's because the moment, how often do you think about that? It's a very episodic thing. So what you have, what we realize in healthcare, is that that little nudge? We call it a nudge. Oftentimes, n- needs to be very connected to the moment when you're making decisions. So it's all about personalizing uh, your healthcare requirements and nudging the patient every day. Until we have a uh, kind of a behavior ingrained, it really takes about you know three weeks. A so month. my watch will tell me like you're cut off. <laughs> Has it <laughs> no not done? More food. Or your watch will say you've done a great job today. You can now actually have a larger dessert tonight. Or your watch may say you know compared to your six friends that you're competing with, you've done a really good job. And by the way, you just you know earned uh, ten air miles for that. So incentives and you know that's the carrot and the uh, and the and the stick that will drive healthcare. When it's been designed for you personally and when you know someone is watching you, so if you know that your physiotherapist or your physician are actually seeing what you're doing on a daily basis and that they may actually ping you and say, hmm, I've noticed you've not been doing X, Y, or Z, and the far extreme on the spectrum of that would, I've noticed you've not been taking your medications as I prescribe to you, they will actually intercede at that point and give you an even larger nudge. We're seeing more responsibilities for pharmacists, more for nurses. Is that a big part of the disruption? Absolutely. Because healthcare is so complex, it takes a bit of a family to uh, to manage uh, patients uh, to success, right? And it's not about doctors. It's about an entire uh, team of healthcare practitioners that will push the agenda forward of, of transforming healthcare. How long before my, my watch will be able mm. to tell me all the things you talked about? Uh, you know what? I, I hate to tell you this, but it actually exists right now. So in many cases, what we're seeing is that these technologies uh, exist, but they've not been distributed. Okay. Okay. Dr. Reeves, thanks a lot. Hey, and we look pleasure. forward to your presentation at Idea City. I look forward to being there. Dr. John Reeves will present at Idea City on Wednesday, June 15th. The conference runs through the 17th. A hugely popular and critically acclaimed Canadian singer-songwriter is celebrating his 62nd birthday. We'll wish Dan Hill a happy birthday next. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. At the Disney Adventure Park in Anaheim, California, it's a new hour-long theatrical interpretation that immerses audiences in the world of Frozen. All of the film's major moments and songs are redesigned and reimagined to fit Disney's Hyperion Theater. In Mexico City, the Museum of Contemporary Art at the National Autonomous University presents Anish Kapoor, Observations on His Creative Process, a unique exhibition comprising sculptures created over the last 25 years. In London, the actress best known as the flighty Lady Rose on Downton Abbey has joined Sir Kenneth Branagh's new production of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. 
Lily James plays the love-struck heroine on stage at the Garrick Theatre. And every evening until June 18th, Sydney, Australia's iconic opera house is lit up with an art installation called Songlines as part of the annual Festival of Light, Music and Ideas. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Book. This week, Canadian singer-songwriter Dan Hill celebrated his 62nd birthday. Dan is a good friend of ours here at Zoomer Radio. Along with popping in for many interviews, he's also performed a live-to-air concert in Zoomer Hall. Dan's music career began in the 1970s. His first album, simply titled Dan Hill, was released in 1975 and featured the hit single You Make Me Want to Be. Two years later, he wrote and released a song that would change his life. Sometimes When We Touch, it was the first of his two major international hit songs. The second came in 1987 when he recorded the duet Can't We Try with Vonda Shepard. But outside of his own recordings, Dan Hill has had tremendous success as a songwriter. Celine Dion, Rod Stewart, Britney Spears, The Backstreet Boys, Donny Osmond, Tina Turner, Reba McIntyre, and Alan Jackson are just a select few of the artists who have recorded his songs. He won a Grammy for his work on Celine Dion's Falling Into You album, as well as five Juno Awards and the Harold Moon Award, which honors a Canadian for a lifetime of songwriting achievement. Right now, we'll hear a bit of Dan Hill's fantastic songwriting. Here is his 1977 hit, Sometimes When We Touch. You ask me if I love you and I choke on my reply. That was Dan Hill with Sometimes When We Touch. Dan celebrated his 62nd birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thank you for joining me today. If you have any questions or comments about today's program, you can email us at zwir at zoomeradio.ca. And be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. Produced by Dave Woodard and Paul Thomas. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.